you don't even know the milligrams, man. <laughs> they can claim whatever they want. There's no FDA for drug, the underground drug world. Welcome back to Overdose. It's been a long time. Uh, first of all, a lot of things have happened uh, since recording this last episode, which was in January, and now it's uh, almost the end of March. So, first of all, it's a long episode edit. It's going to be the longest one. I put a sneak peek fun surprise in there for you guys. If you make it about halfway through, it'll be at 43 or so. And, I mean, just with tests, homework, preparing for a compounding competition, there was a mental health resiliency event that I helped plan with another organization. So I've just been up to a lot of things. Um, and the biggest thing that's happened, if you've been following the Instagram, uh, where I post pharmacy-related memes that relate man buns to Chris Hemsworth to the Val Sarn recall and post episode updates at overx.dose on Instagram. Um, follow to stay healthy and for your daily dose of healthy humor. Uh, then you've probably heard about my professionalism meetings, um, at which I'll go into a lot more detail later. I think it's a very important area with a lot of nuances to it. Anyway, running the page and creating this podcast has given me a lot of opportunities to grow. And if you notice, I'm changing a little bit what I'm posting on that page just in response to some of these things I've learned. So I will say I've gotten a lot of support from the dean's office despite some of the incidents reported to them. Um, the meetings have really helped me refocus and really ensure my goals and the message of destigmatizing mental health, exploring harder to discuss issues in this field, and lines up with how I'm trying to present myself on social media as well. Um, listening to this, this has a totally different feel to the page, and I'm trying to really align those two. So, while also still not being boring and ensuring I'm staying true to myself, and at least, you know, you guys laugh a little bit. That's always the end goal. Um, so, I'm just going to take this second to apologize to anybody that I've offended. Anybody I've come off as negative, I mean, it's a learning process for me. It's totally new for me, and I honestly, that's not the intention. I really want everyone to just learn about pharmacy in general and how we can all work together, maybe through humor, as a way to, like, link it all together. I'm trying really every day to make it better for everyone, so I hope you enjoy this and anything else I put out. And for friends and family listening to this, I promise I'm not kicked out of school. Everything's fine. I'm working through the meetings, and I'm working with the dean's office, and... Everything is A-OK, and so far, improvements have been made. So, stay tuned for an episode on the details of those events and for ways you can avoid it later. But for now, this episode is episode three of the miniseries on mental health, and I really it was awesome. So I got a chance to speak with one of my high school buddies about a lot of things relating to their job as an advanced EMT. Yes, advanced is different than a regular EMT. And I was really surprised to just learn about their experience with mental health on the job and in their personal life. Paramedics apparently aren't the same thing. I thought that was crazy. We talk about the schooling requirements. We talk about a really large music festival that takes place in my hometown and talking about his experience working there. I'm going to rant about the benefits of water. We talk about dealing with depressed and suicidal patients, and we discuss one of Stefan's hardest cases and how he managed it on the job, on and off the job. Basically, we cover a lot, and I know a lot of people are busy, so if there's something in particular you want to skip to, timestamps are going to be in the show notes, so click there, do your thing, find out where you want to listen. There's a little of everything in here for everyone, and it has a big focus in the later half on how an EMT is handled seeing death on some calls and how they handle those experiences while still keeping themselves mentally healthy. And if you missed any episodes, you can just click on wherever you're listening to, go to my page, Hey, maybe even leave a five-star review or a positive comment or a negative comment or any kind of comment you want um, on the Apple Podcast page. And I'll be interviewing another pharmacy student who has actually set up a mental health focus group at their school. And maybe it'll be something that you can try and do at your own school if this is something you want to get into. Anyways, I had a great time learning about another field and catching up with my old friends. So, and I hope, really hope you do too. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy episode three.
So I'm about to interview an EMT and kind of talk to him about his mental health. It's the first time I'm doing a Skype chat uh, audio, so it might not be as good as the rest of the interviews I've done. Um, so bear with me, and hopefully it'll be okay. I'm going to call him right now, so hang tight. With the wardrobe okay. chains. Yo, I did the I same thing. Looking fresh. Yeah, it's not funny. I was like, oh, shoot, I have hope I have time to like, clean myself up a little bit. Yeah, man. You know? I mean, I didn't <laughs> shave my face before. That was, I didn't have time for How funny would that be? Have like half the face shaved clean. Like, it's funny. Other half shaved it's funny you say that because it looks like, it looks like there's less hair on your face than before. <laughs> than before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you just watch, you, you try to like splash some water on yourself. Like I got to look a little like, get the swelling yeah. down. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I just start like acupuncture, just like get the the edema out of my face. I don't know why. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up the questions right now. Um, all right, man. Let's yeah, let's just jump into the things that we're gonna talk about. So, hey, what's up, man? Long time no talk. How you doing? I'm good, dude. I'm good. I haven't talked to you since high school. What have you been up to since high school? It's been uh, I don't no, know uh, six years. I know, isn't it scary? It's been that long already. Sounds weird coming out of my mouth. It's, oh, it's horrible. It's like so. I'm I'm like the fifth year senior that I, I guess I guess if it's only been six years, yeah. I, I spent a year in EMT school and then I I started my degree in kinesiology and that that's been goofy in its own because I was I was gonna start out as an athletic training major and then things just kind of I found out like ah, I don't really like that so much I like the science behind it but the job itself is kind of boring when I actually witnessed it so well, and it's pretty competitive too isn't it doesn't everybody want to work for a sports team and be like an athletic trainer and yada 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 yes so the the reality is you know you might work for like a high school and I remember my friend that does work for um, they work for she works for a contractor that is then kind of like they, essentially, they work for Clark County School District. They're contracted through them. So, um, and she she was probably making about the same money I was as an EMT. So I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna get a bachelor's degree to kind of do what I do now. <laughs> not good. <laughs> That's like not as good. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, but you probably so. see less crazy stuff. So like, so I, I want to just like, just get into like, what? Why did you choose to be an EMT? Yeah. With the, so you were thinking about athlete like training. Yeah, athletic training. So athletic training is kind of sports medicine based. It's um, uh, the best way I can describe it is my sports injury management class was kind of like EMT school light. So they they taught us a lot about EMT school and a lot of the same skills like backboarding, C spine. Yeah, um, yeah, all the things the, I know about, and I definitely am familiar with. What is all that? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, no, I, I know. I get, I get caught up. It's always sucky when I try to explain it to my family because they're like, yeah, that's cool, dude, in English. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> like, the C collar is just, it's a cervical collar. That's like in the movies when you see them in the collar and they, like, can't move their, you know, head. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what that is. Um, and so, and then the backboarding is just the spinal immobil immobilization. And uh, that's, that's when someone has, you know, just a back injury and you got to move them. The, the science now is kind of conflicted on whether or not that's the move to do. But when you're talking about, like,
like football, let's say, you know, when people risk being like paralyzed or something like that, it, it, that then that, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea per se. Um, to not least, move their spine, <laughs> to not move the spine right, that potentially yeah, could be broken. The data, I guess the data now is saying that by backboarding them, you're manipulating their spine more. But again, if their back is broken and you have to move them and you, like, you, you have to move this person, they're on a field. Come <laughs> on, man, get off the field. Get off the field. <laughs> you're ruining it. Um, so yeah. just give us, just give a little background about yourself. Um, if you want to give your name, go for it. Yeah, okay, so my name is Stefan. I'm an advanced emergency medical technician. What that means is I can I can do a little bit more than an EMT in the way. Uh, so an EMT is an emergency medical technician, and essentially what that consists of is you're, you're a first responder. When people call 911, you go to their house, and even then that, that can branch off into what, what part of the country you live in. But um, here where I live, our system responds with the fire department to emergencies and then more often than not we're the we're the ones that transport the patient and the fire department um is the one who has command on scene meaning that if there's multiple patients they'll kind of dictate who's going to go first and they have their their paramedics too so for instance say there's a cardiac arrest now that gives you an extra paramedic in a sense so now you've got yeah, now you've got two people. One can kind of act as like you know they, they can be working with like the medications and maybe the my my typically how I've seen it go is one would start uh, working like with your cardiac dose epinephrine and the other would be working on intubating the patient. I'm usually the guy doing compressions or. I heard, dude. I heard ribs snap. Right, like when you do compressions, yeah. you are breaking someone's ribs. Um. So how Ooh. it works is you've got yeah you've got like the. Um, Geez, take it back to A and P. So you, I want to say it's like the vertebral sternal, uh, the sternocleidomastoid. <laughs> yeah, the sternal yeah, dude. Yep. Muscle. Yeah. Um, so what happens is, is those those ribs are breaking away from the sternum, and it's not it's not like you're gonna have a free floating sternum. It's kind of like wishbone, right? Like you're gonna have your your ribs that that break away, and the other ones are, I mean, typically still attached. I've never I've never heard of it happening where it's all just broken away and you've just got a free floating sternum now bouncing around in the chest uh, well, with your strength man you never know maybe you just like try to bring it back a little too hard you you gotta be careful with it because i remember when i was doing my cpr course they were like push as hard as you can because we probably had like those dummies man those dummies are hard to push they're made out of rubber and silicone not yeah, osteoporosis exactly. bones yeah so i remember when i was in emt school and they made us research I, I was just pushing as hard as I could. And they were like, "All right, all right, monkey, stop." They were like, "What are you?" They were like, "What are you doing?" They were like, "Dude, you're gonna fucking..." Can I say that? Yeah, that... dude. Yeah, okay. dude. No, you're fine. <laughs> they were like, "You're gonna fucking kill somebody," and I was like, "That's okay, the opposite right. of my job. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to do as an EMT." The opposite of what you're what you're trying to do here. So yeah, it it was funny because you know it just shows you. Okay, so. <laughs> Don't don't maybe go as hard as you can. You gotta still like it, it's a happy medium. You gotta just kind of do the little. Uh, well, you know, you gotta yeah. keep the rhythm, like, yeah. like in the office, staying alive. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Don't break the ribs. Don't snap there. I looked there. it up. I, I I looked it up. I didn't forget in like a heat of panic. It is the the verte- vertebrochondral. Got it. Got it. Okay. I, I was able to retain some stuff from A and P. Thank God. So so what kind of hours do you work? I gotta imagine it. The training program is hard in itself. How many years is it? Is it a certificate? It's, 
It's, yeah, so unfortunately, I, I would like to see it go the way of a degree program, but it is a certificate right now. I know a lot of people use that as, like, a way to do medical school, or did you, like, to go into, like, other emergency services, period? Yeah, so a lot of people use it for PA, and that was actually my, wow, uh, so, okay, I started out, I wanted to be a firefighter, and it's not that I, I don't now, but I really like the medical side of it. Once I kind of got in and really started understanding it, I'm like, oh man, this is all interesting. I want to know more. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm hoping at some point, um, um, if I don't get on the fire department as a paramedic, I'm hoping I could just take the experience and go to PA school. Cause right now I've got over 2,500 hours, which is the minimum requirement for most schools I've looked into. Nice, I'll nice. Yeah. I'll have over 3,000 by the end of 2019, I'd be amazed if I didn't have more than, you know, at least 3,200 hours. So hopefully it'll kind of open doors like that. And it's, it's supposed to be valued experience because if you look at PA school and not to, not to knock anyone who's going this route, like I would, I would hate to, to bag on it, but I mean, in a recent study, they said like, that's one of the most stated, like best jobs of 2019 or 2020 PA was like number three on the list or something. It's like yeah. best jobs to have just availability wise, pay wise, et cetera. And, and it's because, honestly, when you look at it, like, I've, I've even got a coworker who he teaches at UNLV. He's a really smart guy, and he's looking at going to med school. And it's great, but for me, I and UNLV just opened theirs, and I was thinking about applying. I, I meet all their requirements except for uh, biochemistry. <laughs> uh, is that what you got your undergrad in? Yeah, because most, most of the requirements lined up with pharmacy school. Right. So exactly, and then now they changed pharmacy school from like really being optionally take two years worth of classes, and then you can apply to three years now because they include A and P. So at that point, you decide: do I not get my bachelor's and go into pharmacy school and start my life a year early, or do I just get my bachelor's in case pharmacy school doesn't work out? And and that's smart because you can take that anywhere. It's not. I mean, if you had an interest in med school or PA school, you know, I think pharmacy tech is one of those that counts as experience, but. They always say EMT or paramedic or military medic. Those are some of the highly sought after positions just because of the fact that you have to do assessments. And there's a PA that does all of our physicals and gets contracted with us when we do large special events. And I was talking to him about it and he was saying, you know, because he was a paramedic before he was a PA. And uh, he said what's nice about it is you've already had to at least do hands-on experience. You're used to starting IVs. Oh, yeah, just to backtrack a second, that's the distinguishment between advanced EMT and EMT. I, my skill set basically is that of an EMT plus I can do IVs. I can give a couple more medications like Benadryl. I can give 1 to 1,000 epinephrine intramuscularly in the case of like anaphylaxis. I was going to say, dude, how do you get an IV in an arm that's jiggling in the back of an ambulance? Yeah, paramedic will take it if they're, if they're really like critical. So a lot of times we'll just get them on scene. But there have been some where, like, if it's something I know I can I can get in route, or, like, there was a time I worked with a salty paramedic. Example, he was super salty, and he drove like he was Mad Max. So Wait, so but, hold on a second. So paramedic and EMT different? Like, paramedic are, drives the truck? It, it depends. It depends. So I, I typically end up driving because if it's any cardiac patient, they have to go on a cardiac monitor, right? So say they're they're having chest pain that's a paramedics call like i can give the i can give the aspirin i had no idea there was a distinction man i thought emt was paramedic it's so emt it's it's kind of like this like if there's three levels of scope right now nationally there's there's paramedic there's advanced emt and then there's emt 
they all fall under the category of emergency medical technician, but there's three different certification levels. So I'm kind of the one in the middle. I've already just from being curious, I always bug my paramedics with like half a dozen questions every shift. And I'm sure half of them are like, dude, enough. You're on the, always, if you're on a truck, like you got to learn as much as you can while you're on those trips. And if you're trying to do that, the best thing to do is ask questions, which is what I'm doing to everybody I put on the show. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't even know there were different levels to EMT. That's cool. A lot of people don't know. It's funny because a lot of people think like we're all we're all paramedics. We can all do like crazy. And a lot of people think we do crazier stuff than we do. Like most of the calls are not critical. What's the craziest story? What's like your craziest event? That's tough, man. I mean, so it's a really large music festival and it's a lot electronic dance music. So oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. Right. It's almost <laughs> like it's a carnival. And, yeah, uh, and so, it's it's in Las Vegas and it happens at a at a certain racetrack. Right, and like exactly. last year, two yeah. years ago, I don't think anybody died, but somebody died in the parking lot, but they didn't count the death because it wasn't on scene technically. So they bragged right. about it in the news and then this woman came into my pharmacy and told me about it and was like, Yep, no deaths, but there's somebody who died from dehydration in the parking lot. I was like, Oh, cool, no deaths, but there was a death. The, yeah, the family uh tried to blame medical for it and it, it gets tough because it's so hard they, well they said you know they said like he's never done drugs this you know you guys didn't get to him in time sorry not <laughs> to hate on people who go to edm yeah. concerts but there is a stereotype like <laughs> drink it's water wear a camelback yeah. you're in a desert in 150 degree weather you feel like you're baking in an oven drink water and then rave all you want man like well and ironically too so there's um they, there's people that would be then they they go into hyponatremia because they they're like oh, no i'm i'm gonna slam water i'm gonna slam water i'm gonna slam water and they're sweating so then it's like all right well <laughs> you you've just made that imbalance even worse now and so now you've got if it gets bad enough you can see them have seizures and now you're like okay are they having seizures because they're hyponatremic or are they having seizures because Cause you have no lab values on scene right you're just like what is wrong with you and then you can't even sometimes get the information especially out of these kids who are on whatever um music things they're doing you don't know yeah. what they're on either so you gotta like oh. so what happens what happened to that in terms of craziness, the, like that is probably like the craziest story because you've got people that will tell me, well, MDMA is safe if you're taking pure MDMA. It's like, all right, well, this was made in a bathtub, so I don't. So I how don't pure is that? that? <laughs> right, or, or if you watch like Drugs Inc. or anything, like you can see how they're making these drugs. Oh, it's so nuts! Yeah. They don't care, dude. They're throwing baking no. soda and stuff. Like, I I recommend anybody to watch any of those. I what was what did I watch? Dope, that documentary. Yeah. They like follow the cop side and then they follow the drug dealer side and they kind of show the same story unfolding and it's, oh, it's gross. It's so gross. You don't know what you're putting in your body. No, and that and that's the thing is it's like it, it's like it, none of it's dosed. That's the yes. That's the most part, dude. From a pharmacist's perspective, I'm like, you don't even know the milligrams, man. <laughs> they can claim whatever they want. There's no FDA yeah. for drug the underground drug world, so you don't know if what you're right. getting is good, and then you like or like good isn't safe. Like, ugh, ugh, it, it, it's it's yeah, mind-boggling. It's, yeah, it, it's so, it, it's insane from, you know, anyone who works in healthcare, especially you, like you were saying, from a pharmacist perspective. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I did think of you going through that when there was one, there, there was one lady who uh, went into respiratory arrest and when we went and cut her shirt, this wasn't at that uh, festival, this was just on the street. Um, yeah. She, uh, we, we cut her shirt and a little bag of Coke, fan, like, fell out. So, 
it's <laughs> at least I think it was coke I'm not sure I didn't inspect it my paramedic found it but it was just funny like you know it, it just makes you think with all these street drugs it's like how do you how do you know how much is too much well you don't and I'm like can you feel comfortable taking that yeah and you're like <laughs> you're willing to risk I mean it's it's an addiction man it's an addiction and these people really do need help and it's right. and you unfortunately and fortunately like you are the person helping them in their most immediate state of being gone that's right. that's got to be tough so like i, I kind of want to use that to transition because we are doing a little mental health mini series so how does dealing with that on a daily basis like what's the toughest thing about being an emt it, it's different for everybody right but a lot of people when they think of like ems and mental health they're like oh my god you guys see the crazy stuff and reality is you, you don't see that every day and honestly i i feel at home on a cardiac arrest patient because it's all very cut and dry i know exactly what i need to do how many times in a month how many times do you see something that isn't cut and dry like kind of just like over the top like somebody's almost coding or and again it's going to change on area but like just for your unit specifically um at least and it's and it's tough too because i i bounce between part-time and full-time so just when i was working full-time at least i mean we we'd have at least a critical patient a week, I'd oh, say. Yeah. But, but still. even that's, that's so much less than everybody would think, and that's not it, it's stressful, but it's not it, it's not traumatic. I'd say what's most traumatic is because um, because so for instance, the other day we had a man who had a just uncontrollable hypotension because his his poor wife his, his wife his blood pressure was was a little bit high. And mm-hmm. so she, she thought she was going to be proactive because they told him after, you know, after it's like 170 or, you know, 180 systolic, give him his quantity. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so yeah. She, she gave him the and once his pressure was like 150. Oh, no. And, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he so went hypo? He went hypo? Yeah, he went huh. hypo. And it, we're, we're just like, okay. So, you know, it it's actually i feel good about it because i'm like okay i got him you know an 18 gauge iv i probably could have even gone 16 i just didn't want to waste too much time you know fumbling around it or if i blow it because you know the larger you go the harder or the easier it is to blow the vein yeah and it's it's inverse right so the lower the number of the gauge the bigger the needle or like the thicker correct yeah it's like you're working with uh (laughs) i remember my pcat stuff (laughs) yeah there you go man so so i got an 18 which is a fair size you can still put blood products through it if you need to and uh so i just you know sank that and we start giving him fluid but the problem is too so you, you think okay clonidine is an alpha 2 agonist i'm gonna take your word for it man i don't know i i you okay. know i'm i'm okay. still i'm still on that 12.5 percent pharmacist game i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say yeah <laughs> okay yeah 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 ooh, so ooh. ideally we'd have you know i i even thought i'm like okay so maybe from a paramedics perspective maybe they'd want to start giving him like dope or do like an epi trip or something and because his pressure wasn't really improving anyway long story short like those are scenarios maybe they're acutely stressful but i feel like those aren't at least for me hard to deal with and i i was diagnosed with generalized depression or i think like gid generalized um, anxiety disorder yeah so i have yeah. that i have too but i don't 
And then MD, you think, is major depressive disorder? And Yeah, I think on, on, on paper, I think it's just general depression. Uh, I think, at least. I, I'd have to ask my buddy. Isn't it weird? They, like, they'll, like, write down an acronym, and you're kind of like, ah, oh, it kind of sucks. It's on my permanent record. It's what it is, I guess. I hope right. they're right. So when, did, right. so when did you realize that you were experiencing general depression? Was this, like, a long-term thing? Um, it was. So... It's it's tough because I'd say the anxiety and depression for me kind of went hand in hand. And the first time that stands out in my memory actually goes in with EMS. We had a uh, hmm. I was in, I was in my second semester of BMT school, so I was working on my advanced certification, and I was doing a field ride with the fire department. And now it's like, yeah, it's nerve wracking, but like I feel like now that I'm older and I'm medicated. I don't. I don't think I have a problem with it. You know, just be respectful, and you're fine. Yeah. Hey. You know? Hey. Real quick. Sorry. Uh, lift up your phone. The audio just get, went robotic as soon as you started talking about that. I right, go. Ahead. Oh shoot. Sorry. Is it oh, better now? Much better. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, backtrack. I first started realizing I had anxiety when I was in advanced CMT school, and I remember I even kind of like looked it up at the time. Um, and then they we, said you had cancer and you're dying, right? Right, yeah, yeah. WebMD told me actually anxiousness is a side effect of having brain cancer. So, um, no. <laughs> and you were like, okay, I'm gonna go talk to my doctor about that. Right, I'm like, oh well, now <laughs> YOLO. I, I guess I need to start doing, <laughs> doing all my doing all those things I, I wish I'd have done earlier. Oh but, uh, god. <laughs> I went to so basically I was doing one of my my field rides with uh, fire department and. You know, it, it is nerve wracking, especially since, you know, I'd want to be a firefighter and all this. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't, you know, I don't want to make a bad impression. But it really, it, it it's, it's, it's nerve wracking, but not, not like it should have been. I, I started having the, you know, those symptoms like I had like cotton mouth. I felt like I couldn't catch my breath. It felt like I couldn't focus. Um, I felt like my heart was beating out of my chest. Yeah. Just, just anxious for no reason, kind of. Yeah. Like- yeah, you start having that like sympathetic response, and you're like, "Dude, I, I even remembered. I was I was thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, this it's not a big deal. Like, why do I feel like I'm about to be like? I felt like I was about to get into like a boxing ring or something. Yeah, like, your I, body it's just it's so weird because your mind knows it's irrational, but your body's responding like it's a rational fear. So, right. I guess how do you? So you you mentioned that it shouldn't have been a big deal. You felt like it shouldn't have been a big deal. How do you think like the general feeling? in emt period how do you think they feel or just as a field like accepts or rejects or just acknowledges mental health problems do they acknowledge it do you guys talk about it i i think the trend is changing it's it's tough because i mean i've only been doing it for two years so i've it, it seems that it's been consistent the entire time kind of at least in the in the field i don't think i've i've never had there's actually a lot of us that are on antidepressants and i've never been met with like oh you're on antidepressants maybe you shouldn't be doing this or something like that's that's kind of that's really cool that's good i didn't honestly i i was i don't think there's also a lot of older emts i don't know why i really always see like younger people bringing people into the hospital so i don't know Mm -hmm. if it's more of like i talked about a little bit with brad like a generational thing maybe and having just a wider acceptance plus in healthcare have you dealt or picked up depressed patients like suicidal oh, patients 
all the time. So in in Clark County, at least, or it, I'm assuming, yeah, it, I think it extends on out throughout the county. Um, there's what's a legal 2000. Or what's called a legal 2000, and a legal 2000 is um, for Californians uh, that might be listening. It's essentially what a 5150 is. So, for instance, if someone says they're suicidal and there's reason to believe that you know they're they're going to do something irrational like suicide, or uh, maybe they've written a note, um, the police, police, RNs, doctors. Uh, they can put the person on what's called a legal 2000, and that means that they're going to have up to a maximum of 72-hour hold in the ER, and um, they can usually get evaluated by, I, I want to say it's a psychiatrist or some other uh, mental health professional. Nice. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good. And do you fill that out? Do they tell you? How do you determine if they're depressed? And also, could you adjust your mic one more time? It looks like it kind of went out again. I'm sorry, man. Oh, you're good. Uh, is it? That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. So I, I don't fill them out like the police will. And a lot of times the police kind of fill it out trying to cover their, their butts as far as, uh, you know, because if someone says something suicidal and then they're, then they show up and they're like, no, I'm fine. Like, I, I don't do anything. And then, and then the police leave and then they go and kill themselves. Then it's an issue of, you know, like then the police could get sued. And so it, it, it's, it's kind of tricky for them. Yeah, and it's tough, though, too, because then people like myself, um, you know, knowing that's a possibility, it, it makes it tough because you don't you you want to you want to be honest with your your provider when you're going and seeing them about, and talking about mental health. But you're like, at the same time, I'm like, dude, you, you put me on a 72 hour hold. I'm not I'm going to like I'm going to run. I'm going to leave. Like, you can't do that. Like, no right. Way. It's like the so, systems are in place for the people that know the systems are in place to be deterred from handling their own issues like and i i feel like it's on every level like maybe not culturally this is just what i've noticed right so yeah. at least in pharmacy i personally have always kind of been averse to medication i was raised that way and i've talked to a lot of people who i mean we're people who work with drugs all the time 100 percent right. access right our whole goal in the screening process for hiring is to prevent people who might have a drug problem to get access to these drugs right so tie in that fact with actually needing medication and then telling people about it that you take this medication that we also dispense at the pharmacy that my hands are touching right that's that's always been a point for me to think like oh that's problematic but again that's inherent in the job and i don't think it should prevent you from like talking about your medication and talking about your therapies with people and it's really cool that you have that relationship with your EMT friends. Yeah. It's cool that you guys are able to do that because you guys have access to it too. I mean, when I check the Odemsa boxes, which is the old Dominion Emergency Medical Service med boxes, right? The ones that if somebody codes, you're using the medazolam, you're using the fentanyl, you're using the uh, epinephrine. And we have to sign those in and make sure that you guys haven't stolen any narcotics. Right. Because it's happened and it's, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's just crazy. And the people that want to do it the right way, get the treatment the right way, they're discouraged because of systems in place that like like the one you just described and and it's tough because for instance like we have midazolam like you said like for said then there's uh ativan ativan is the other one that critical care paramedics can carry but for some reason the rest of the county doesn't and i i don't know i i don't know the reasoning behind that but it sucks because there's no panic attack protocol and i'm like this, this could be so easily resolved. Like, I had a patient that got put on a legal 2000 because they're having a panic attack, and they're asking me, they're like, 
I don't have the money to pay for this ambulance bill. And that, that it broke my heart. Cause I'm like, all right, like I can write your information down wrong, but like, that's, you know, like I can put like, I can, you know, fudge your social when I'm putting all your data in and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you never would do that, but like, but like, no, never. But, no but like it, it's as it's, it's hard. Cause as a human, as a human being, you don't want to punish the person who's seeking help. And then at, right. at, on, a, on my level too, what I found crazy, this might blow your mind. You might already know this. So did you know that, and it's a huge thing in every hospital that if you pop like an emergency code tray, which is just like, it has all like 10 syringes of phenylephrine, 15 syringes of like, like a like propofol, um, different sorts of like, um, paralysis and like, you know, stimulants or whatever, just every, yeah. any, any type of code medication, uh, which again, a code is like when somebody's like on their, about to be on their deathbed, like they're, they're literally dying and this, the a code tray is something providers pop out on the floor and they just grab whatever meds they need. But the patient is charged for the entire drawer of meds, even if they use one syringe, because of convenience. I didn't know that. The entire tray. So, this then you get a problem with nursing and people who are hesitant to pop the trays because they know the patient on your end. You know the patient's struggling yeah. with money. So, do you do you charge them an arm and a leg, a fist, a, a head, a, a, an ankle? plus some for one epinephrine syringe that will save their life or do you take the extra 10 seconds to try to pull it out of a pocket individually you know what they usually go with pop pop the tray it's yeah. probably the thing too because they're like I'm popping the tray we pop the tray yeah yeah. Like it's, we we have yeah that would be akin to the people that kind of they're they're itching to intubate you know it's like are there people whoa, whoa, whoa I've never heard of this so people are itching to intubate people for like the experience um, or what yeah, like it sounds. No. Whoa, it sounds crazy, but I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, they, I know. So, I know so intubation. They, it's like you you help them breathe, but like, why are there people like, oh, I want to, oh, because it's cool and they like it. And it's like fun. because it's a tough skill. Sometimes I, I, you know, it can be a complicated skill, and I don't. They're you know they're eager. You learn all these things in 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 school, and then you know, it it's somewhat rare that you might have to innovate somebody so when they see the opportunity present itself sometimes it, their ego can can kind of overshadow what the patient actually needs and that's oh, scary that's, dude that's a scary thing and it's it's insane yeah. too because it's it's patients aren't aware of this doctors aren't aware of this there's things there's these small things in healthcare that don't get discussed and they're just a, they're just an accepted thing and like you said it can I feel like there's easy ways around it and it's just it's it's one of those things where if it's not broken don't fix it but it's more yeah. like oh, if yeah. it's broken and it's not causing you an immediate problem don't fix it because you'll eventually get to it later and there's more pressing matters to deal with yeah so and I, I've been guilty of like I've I've given patients IVs that maybe not, don't need them and but but but, know, but like, then there's honest mistakes you know what I mean but if the systems yeah. are built to prevent the best outcome for the patient financially and medically like again above all else we are trying to save a patient's life right right your life is more important than the extra five grand you're going to get charged for meds that you didn't use i think i think for hopefully in theory unless you have people who are depressed and who want to die like you have people that are coming to these emergency services i'm sure like have you had anybody be like don't give me that just like let me go um 
so yeah are you talking about like like a do not resuscitate order type thing kind of or just like a depressed patient who's like don't give me that ambulance like don't don't i don't want to go the the most upsetting mental health i've I've had two that kind of upset me one one was a pretty simple transfer of uh a mother, and I want to say she was schizophrenic, but she had, you know, she was starting to have those auditory hallucinations, and oh my uh, God. they were telling her to like kill her kids, basically, you know, out of like, you know, Ooh. basically kind of like a horror movie, and and when I was talking to her, just to see like the the confusion and frustration with experiencing that, you know, she loves her kids. Why why is this happening? It's like that that, and I that that's when I kind of was able to take your hand and say like it's not your fault you know like this isn't you know don't beat yourself up about this this isn't your fault you're not in control of this but you're gonna get the help because we're taking her to a to a mental hospital after that yeah for like, sure you're, and then you're you know, and then you're, you're calling child protective services for the kids and then you're it's well and the, and at least like because the the dad was home and the dad the dad's the one that kind of called the police and everything and got everybody kind of privy to what was going on because he you know obviously it was a shock to him too so at least you know they still had their their dad to care for him the household environment was still safe but you know the mom kind of had you know the com- the mom was realizing yeah the the house is safe but it's because i'm removed from it and it's oh. like oh, I, I can only imagine how how awful that feels as a parent like that's that's heartbreaking um and then i had another patient who was a rape victim and was it he, was it the same night you guys got called? Do you know? Night before, because I was on day shift that day. So, okay, so it happened, and then they or, and then and, they. And he had written the note and everything. It was a good job by the police department to get there quick and just kind of de-escalate everything. They so, got they got a note. The guy wrote. Yeah, it. he wrote it. He had a note ready and everything. I don't remember how he was going to do it. I don't know if there were guns in the house, but um, I just it it really upset me just because I I remember I made the decision to transport to the nearest facility because the 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 quote-unquote appropriate facility was way out of the way he was having really bad anxiety and as we just discussed i can't it's so stupid because at the very least i could have given him benadryl and that would kind of give him some sedation from it you know mm-hmm. yeah no, for he, wasn't, sure. you know, he wasn't allergic to it or anything obviously we always have to do that before, you know you check all that before so you you are supposed to take them to whatever hospital you you were told by your company to take them to or whatever the it's, patient requests or it's a county it protocol so university medical center has uh rape kids right makes sense so you go to the place with rape kids he, he yeah and so he however was refusing it i said look you know like they're they're gonna want to do this and this and, and it's this this is I, I, I don't I think he knew the assailant anyway but he's like I'm not naming anybody I'm not doing this I don't want to do that oh he, it was a guy who was sexually assaulted yeah it was a, it was a guy so it was even you know it's against kind of what you'd expect for like the, the stereotypical yeah it happens you know? but that's crazy I can't yeah. I, I would love to just dive into that on another episode and just to like see like what that reaction is like and how that's handled specifically but yeah so yeah. for him he was he told the police officer to shoot him he was telling me to shoot him he was you know be, like you know begging me to kill him and i'm like oh my god like it's it's just tough i'm like this and it sucks because i so i didn't i didn't take him to university medical center because he was refusing and i thought okay well he's having such bad anxiety and this and that maybe if we just get him to the nearest facility we can kind of prevent because it was very manic because he'd go from he'd go from thanking me and saying like you know he, he's not trying to be 
a problem and like he appreciates that I'm trying to like help him and yeah. then kind of get amped up again and start you know begging us to kill him or you know just like I don't know just anything under the sun it's like damn you know and I, I even talked to the doctor and the doctor's like well if you know if he the basic it wasn't it wasn't a big deal as far as me taking him to the different hospital because the different hospital all they said was well okay all we'll have to do is just transfer him out if he changes his mind and wants to comply and do the you know the kits and everything and you know it's and that's not a huge deal to just transfer him out but um you know it just kind of sucked because i was like man you know did i i i always try to ask okay did i do what was in the patient's best interest in that case i'm like i don't uh, maybe you know it's i feel like it's so hard to second guess yourself man because you're literally the one making those calls and there's never a right answer so i want to i want to just kind of tie back to just how going through general depression and anxiety and then seeing this guy go through it and kind of bounce back between like kill me save me thank you um how do you manage it in those situations or is like yeah how do you manage it in those situations because you again you said you struggle with a little bit of some of that anxiety some of that general depression when you're seeing somebody else go through it how are you managing it for yourself to keep you safe um i try to it's it's odd because i don't i'd say i don't absorb it acutely like in the moment it's kind of like okay here's what needs to be done I, i'm gonna you know i need to do this i need to do that Flight or, <laughs> uh, fight or flight and you're kind of just like you're, you're just you're flowing and then afterwards it more drains yeah it, it's usually when i'm driving home because i have a long drive home and then uh you know if i think of it then or like Time I've, to I've, I've, yeah exactly I've, I've cried in my driveway a couple times you know before i walked into the house and it's like yep yeah, that's you know and then uh, you know, you just gotta let it out and then come back tomorrow. And I think that that's kind of tough. The whole like, like just knowing, oh God, I gotta go back and do it again tomorrow. But that's that's where it's it's great having a good partner that you click with because I've I've had it happen where I've kind of there. There's been days I've I've really been like, oh my God, I, I don't want to go to work again. I don't want to go back in. And then I show up and I see my friends and they're smiling and they're kind of, you know, and, and that can kind of help bring me out of it. Cause it's like, okay, like they're, they're joking with me. It's, we're going to have a good time and, and kind of the positivity kind of brings me out of it. And I think a big part of that though, is I, I don't, I don't know anymore if I'd be able to do the job if I wasn't medicated. I don't, that's, that's what gets tough because I've had friends go, well, you know, have you ever thought about getting off the medication? I'm like, I mean, yeah, but I don't, I don't see why. Yeah. There's no reason to. And if it's working, it's working. And I, it, what I found is that you should not listen to anybody else's suggestions for you when it comes to your mental health because you said it yourself, right. man. Like, it's different for everybody. What works for you is not going to work for me. What somebody's suggesting they think might work for them, usually it's coming from a place where they haven't experienced and you can't even relate to them how shitty it is. You and know, like, they've I... got no point of relation. So anything they say is not going to help you manage your own mental health and i think that's something that's really very important for anybody listening until you do go through it a little bit or like it just just know that offering suggestions for somebody is usually the least effective way of helping somebody through it yeah i i would say for any you know one that has like family members or loved ones with depression i'd say just you know offer to be supportive to say that you know wait, wait, or or just for me it was always like just going and hanging out, going and getting a pizza with with a friend, you know, anything. Just keeping me out of my house from just being alone. Yeah. And um, 
it's one of the things I, I saw a meme a while ago. It was like a veteran run Instagram thing, and they said, uh, it was it was a poorly made meme where they. It, it had a bottle of pills and it said, this is shit. And then it had like a picture of a forest. It said, this is an antidepressant. And I'm like, Oh my that's God. Like, that's the most toxic thing I've ever read in uh, regards to like mental health. No. And, it, and it's, and it's pushed on so heavily from social media. And like, that's the, the biggest thing, dude. One of the biggest reasons I'm starting this is there's so many, like yeah. just to get over it, go outside, sniff some flowers, you sniff the right. magical flower of no more anti-depression, no more depression. That's not how medicine works. That's not why this thing exists, and that's not why people are getting their lives saved every day by people like you. You're not telling them when you pick them up. You're not like, hey, just uh, go look at that tree over there and uh, feel better. So this is kind of something yeah. I wanted to do. So how how do you define how do you define depression? What is your definition? So for because I want to try I want to try and break down and dispel this myth. Yeah, so so for me, it, it's more than just feeling sad. You start you start seeing changes in your behavior. I almost always lose weight when I'm when I'm depressed, and it's funny because some people are like, "Oh, I gain weight. I wish I had that problem." And it's like, it, now you're comparing I, my depression to your depression, which both are equally shitty. Yeah. But, um. Okay. Whatever makes you feel better about you. You know, and it, it never offended me. I mean, it, yeah. it just Realistically, it's like at the end of the day, it's it's not it's not a bad problem to have. I mean, like I'm at a healthier weight than I, you know, I'm, I'm not as fat as I was like a year ago. <laughs> you get toned, my dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exactly. the gym for free. Why not get depressed? If anybody's it's trying just, to lose yeah, weight, get like, depressed. Damn, dude, it, it sucks because now it carries over to the gym, and then I don't want to uh, when I'm when I'm trying to exercise. I'm like, it it does get kind of discouraging because I'm like, oh man, like the other day I was squatting like maybe. I don't know, like 255 but like just a month ago I, I put knee wraps on and I did 315 for eight and it's like wow yeah so that's my point is it's like you get I all I did I lost I, I just lost weight that's all that happened and it's like oh shit now it's you know now I gotta work back up to it but I've been through it so many times that I, it's not a big deal to me anymore but when I was younger it was like oh my god I'm so weak Ugh. oh yeah I, I lose my appetite real fast um can you that, can you talk your way out of it? Does it go away on its own? I'd say no, and and that's okay. And that's what people need to realize too. Is it's like it's it's okay to to use a medication. I was the same way, like you were talking about earlier, and I've had patients that were too that had anxiety, and they're like, "Well, I don't I don't want to take a medication for. It. I don't need that. I don't want to be someone who has to use this medication for life." And that's like, "Oh my god, yeah." Well, and I'm people gonna... people always jump to that in in in. The, in in that state of mind, you're always going to think of the worst problem possible. So you reverse the medication, and then you think, oh, if I go on meds, I have to be on it forever. That's not true at all. You can. Yeah. Some people need that. Sometimes people learn that going out in nature is a form of natural antidepressants. There was a study. I saw you had a dog back there, Jaeger. Um, there was a study, I think, recently. I, only, I didn't read the whole thing, so I'm not exactly quoting the numbers here, but right. it was just as effective, if not more effective, than antidepressants at, like, elite, like, lifting mood like dogs so the idea that nature can act as a as a natural antidepressant is true if you're not depressed but if you're in a depressed state you're not going to get the benefit of being out in nature because you're not going to enjoy anything because you're in your own head yeah and that's exactly that that's actually a really good example was um 
so when I first got diagnosed and I was first on the medications, my, you know, my dad and I, like we went up to Mount Charleston. Oh and, no, uh, that was probably so stressful for you, but he was probably thinking this is going to help, huh? It, it wasn't, it wasn't stressful. It was just, I was depressed, so I wasn't enjoying it. And I always yeah. love going to Mount Charleston. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. But it's like you said, I was, I was in my own head and it wasn't, it wasn't stressful. It was just like, I, you know, it, it's kind of like that, uh, I don't. I just remember all the commercials where you got like a little like gray cloud over you. It, <laughs> the it good old ball like and chain, the black ball yeah. and chain, which is your brain just saying this is the worst thing ever and it's all your fault. Wow, you made it this far. That's awesome. I'm so happy you're still listening. Hope you're enjoying it so far. Um, and I thought this is a good place to just put in a quick message from one of our sponsors. So that's right. This uh, the podcast is sponsored by some medical companies here. So I really hope you enjoy this. Um, I'm really. I really like this company a lot, so here we go. Are you feeling like a ball and chain during the day? Do you feel that chain or ball is attached to your eyelids and you're feeling it hard to keep your eyes open? Do you feel less productive? Have you been staying up late studying for exams and crashing afterwards without any understanding of why? Hey, yeah, actually, all the time. That's crazy, especially with all these exams I've had these past few weeks. I've, I've been feeling like that quite a bit. I thought so. Well, I have just the thing for you. Wow, I'm so excited and tired. What can I do to help with these eyeball chains? Try a new patented product, Sleep, by REM Inc. Wow, REM Inc. I've never heard of that. Sleep? What is that? How's that going to help me? Sleep is recommended for any pharmacy student, grad student, practicing professional, or really anybody who's trying to function properly throughout their day. You mean chugging Red Bulls and only focusing on schoolwork isn't the solution to my problems? I could just chug an eight-hour injury and call it a day, man. Whoa, 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 not so fast. That sounds terrible, and you should definitely not be doing all that unhealthy things for you. Instead of artificial alternatives, I have an organic, gluten-free, all-natural, cage-free way to get that energy you need without crashing. Wow, did you say gluten-free? I'm listening. Sleep is the natural way to feel well-rested and give you organic, free-range energy to do everything you need to do during the day, while you're also feeling good. You won't have to rely on those Mountain Dews anymore. Wow, hold on a second. These Mountain Dews taste great, but how should I take it? Take sleep Q68H every day PRN for a good night's rest. For you non-medical people, that means take it every six to eight hours as needed to ensure you're productive and alert throughout the day. <laughs> I'm no dummy big pharma guy. What are the side effects? You guys always rush through these... That's the best part. Apart from experiencing fatigue, confusion upon awakening, productivity, dreaming, becoming beautiful, having enough energy to get through the day, being productive in class, increased situational awareness. Best of all, you can't overdose. 10 out of 10 doctors recommend sleep and about 6.8 billion people are taking it on a daily basis. And not one lawsuit. Wow, thanks random drug rep who just happened to appear in my house while I was recording an episode. How do I get my hands on a bottle of this sleep you got? I want to get some today. Maybe I should just schedule an appointment with my doctor right now. Hold the phone. That's the craziest part. You don't need a prescription. What? That's right. Here's how you take sleep. Okay. Crawl into bed. Uh, okay, I'm crawling into bed now. Now close your eyes. Alright, it's a little weird, but I'll close my eyes. Now stop thinking about things and go to sleep. Wow, I think I think it's working. Stop talking and it'll work faster. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Another satisfied customer. Try sleep today from Rim Inc. This ad was paid for by the Sandman Corporation. <clears throat> Is he gone? Yeah. If 
felt like I had a, uh, I have like a conflict with myself and it's, uh, it's more annoying I'd say to deal with, but it's, yeah. you know, it is annoying. I'm like, I want to do all these things. I like long term counseling helped a lot and incredible amounts. Yeah. Go ahead. How did it help you? So I, I think, I think it, you know, I, I obviously I'm, I'm not opposed to taking the medication, but I think even my prescriber had said, you know, if you're, you're coupling that with, I want to is it psychoactive therapy? Is that what they, um, psychoactive therapy would be like, um, like marijuana or something like, no, no, psych, oh. so psychoactive is just like anything that alters the brain chemistry to where you're either like hallucinating or you're experiencing the world in an altered state. I'm, I'm thinking, it's like, uh, like, it's like, um, wow. I don't, I, I'm blanking, dude. I'm so tired today. I, I, don't I think know. it's, uh, behavioral cognitive therapy. Yeah. Uh, that, co- cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Cognitive you behavioral so, therapy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So that, and, and that even my, like I said, my prescriber said that coupled with the medication is, is definitely more effective. And so I started going to counseling again. And even that, that was tough to access. Cause first I tried to go through the university. The university's got a backlog of, they were like, dude, it's going to be eight weeks before we can even get you in. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well that doesn't really help me. And, you know, it's like I'm having, you know. Like, I have so much hope now. After eight weeks, I'm sure I'll be okay then. After right. And, and it's funny because I, in my mind, I'm, it's, I was kind of looking at it more positively. And I was like, well, hopefully, you know, probably won't even feel like that in eight weeks. And then my, you know, the counselor I see now is like, or worse, or you'll feel, you know, way shittier than you did before. And you haven't yeah. had any help. And you're, yeah. So at least, um, Shout out to UNLV's uh, mental health staff because they they were the ones that referred me to my current place and it's been working out well. So Good. that was awesome. Um, but, but yeah, just keep describing your whole process. So so when did you decide to go in? At what when? What was the point where you're like, I'm gonna get help? Um, I, I had had help previously when my parents got divorced, and I kind of once I started feeling like, okay, this is more than just I feel down. Um, it. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, it was when it was when my relationship ended, and that because for a while, I, I felt like that kind of helped me mask some of the deeper stuff that yeah. I was feeling. Yeah, because it's, easy, like, it's easier to push it down when you're experiencing something good. Yeah, for sure. And, and so, you know, the negative stuff that I I maybe wasn't addressing or didn't know how to address. You load it onto I, someone else a little bit. I, I talked about it in my first episode, and I think Brad put it like nicely. It's like you want to be there for your significant other and hopefully take some of their pain away. But when when it becomes toxic and you guys are kind of just like using each other as like you know a luggage bag, and it's and like, I don't yeah, which I'm sure yeah. I'm sure that I'm, maybe I'm, I'm it might not have been the case with you, but no, it it's actually because um, my girlfriend at the time had said, you know, it feels like you're just always negative. And, uh, yeah, and it's, I, I think, I think once, cause I, I didn't know how to, when I was taking work home with me, you know, I, she had said, I, I didn't ever really talk about like the more positive things and that, that's more because I just don't, your brain, don't your brain wasn't in the place to be able to do that. Your brain not literally, just, yeah, but go not ahead. just that, but when I, you know, if, if all I'm doing for somebody is giving a blanket and making them feel comfortable, I looked at it as like, I'm just, I'm just trying to take care of somebody. Like I'm just doing my job. Like, why do I need to come home and like celebrate that? Like I'm, you know, I just felt like, yes, yeah. I'm doing my job. I don't want to, I'm not mother Teresa because I, you know, 
sat somebody up and, and made sure then tried to make sure they were comfortable. But in reality, it's more like, you know, not everybody does that. Even in my own job, like sometimes, you know, people are, Oh, this person's just another homeless person abusing the system. And I kind of, I kind of got that way when I was working full time. It's, it's, you, you get a little burnt out on it. And Naturally. I, yeah. And I, I just, it sucks because it just, it took away like, you know, the most meaningful relationship I'd ever had. And it's like, it's so dealing with that, it did get to a point where I'm like, you know, I don't think it's going to get any better. And it's, it, it got to a point where I'm like, yeah, I could hang myself. I could fucking do it. And I, I don't want to think like that. No. So, no. Yeah. So it, it was like, you know, I, I need to talk to somebody about this because I was, I was talking to a lot of my friends about it. And you had a network, you had a network and I'm sure it sounds like people were kind of looking out for you and like, were they suggesting you go? Were you, were you getting like, Hey, you um, go? yeah, like my, my mom was always supportive of it. My, you know, it, my family's always been supportive of, you know, getting help. It, it was never That's like, nice. a, That's nice. yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that stood out kind of, I believe you were talking about it where Brad was talking about it, where you guys never really had that kind of like, why do you need to go do that? Just, you know, work hard, deal with it yourself. And yeah, right. That's kind of what yeah. There. Was that as big of a motivator to go as say, like maybe just like your own experience in knowing you, you had gotten help before and it worked. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Yeah. That, and because, because at the end of the day, I, I know realistically no matter what happens i'm i'm gonna be able to have these long-term goals i want the biggest thing i just want to you know i just want to get married have kids and just be like a good dad like and it's so funny because like i've i've always felt that way and i remember one of my buddies was like dude why are you 30 in like a you know 20 some year old's body but that's just that's just always how i felt and it's it's tough too because then you know feeling suicidal and feeling it was it was just getting to a point where it's like you start having those those daydreams like that more and more often and it got to a point where i'm like all right yeah i'm like how long did it go on how long um, a couple weeks and it's still intermittent like they call it at least i've heard it been called like passive suicidal ideation i'm i'm Mm. more at the point like we we've gone on calls and metro's not there and so, you know, like the, the people that I'm working with are like, dude, this is fucking unsafe. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, oh God. whatever, dude. And I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, you're not going to shoot me, uh, you know? Oh, and my it's God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you kind of just like, if, yeah. Jeez. I can't even imagine. And, well, part of it, I, I think part of it, too, is just me maybe being a little cocky and thinking like, yeah, like, what, like what, they're really going to do this. Yeah. No, hey, it, it, it comes with it comes with the territory like you've done you've seen it all you you feel like you've done you've done enough in life i think it's just like a 20 something male thing too yeah because i've never had somebody i've never had the situation pan out like that yeah i'm like whatever it'll never happen to me yeah the second you do that though you're gonna get shot in the leg you're like oh my god yeah god why did i do that yeah so because yeah so i it's like in the in that situation i don't i don't know i don't know how i'd act but it got to a point where I was like, yeah, I don't, who knows, man. I'm like, if I, I felt like if I got killed on a scene of, of like a, a psychiatric patient that went overboard and, you know, it would just prove my point that, you know, Metro needed to be involved and that, you know, healthcare needs to be addressed better in this country. So it's like, 
I don't know, like it kind of had like, it's probably a pretty screwed up way of looking at it, but that that's kind of the way I saw it. Worst case scenario, if that does happen, then maybe it'll raise awareness for once. Maybe, you know, it'll actually force politicians to look at it more seriously and actually like put legislation in order to, you know, get better or, or at least maybe put more funding towards mental health care in the country. No, exactly. And it's, it's, you just trying to go through the system itself, man. It shows how kind of broken it is. So just so you reached out to your student services eight weeks right so yeah describe how long it took to get medication and then describe like you're i'm really sorry you had to go through this but describe just the patient pharmacy interaction you had for a minute because what, oh. what what you told me is yeah. it's unacceptable and it's and I, I i can try and explain why it happened in a way because i want people to kind of be aware of the the work that does go into preparing 400 500 people's drugs a day but but you, that, what you experience is unacceptable. And I, can you just give a little bit of background on that? So you went yeah, to the doctor. Sure. I have actually been on. Um, can you move the mic a little bit? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I changed the position. Is it better? That's much better. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm talking into it. Um. Okay. So background. I I want to say I was 20 when I first got put on uh, citalopram or Celexa is the generic SSRI. Um, it just you know the the whole idea is to prevent destruction of the serotonin molecules so it can hang out a little bit longer and keep you happy so i've been on that for a while uh i guess my physician or yeah physician just put he, he must have forgotten the um prescriber the diagnosis he, he yeah. forgot to and and i've i've never had an issue with i've been taking my my meds to the same pharmacy or my prescriptions to the same pharmacy for years and up until recently, I don't know if their staff changed. I don't know what's going on, but I've just been having issues with them recently, like every time I go to fill the prescription. And so there was one time it was just supposed to be a refill, and they're like, oh, no, it, you have to have a whole new prescription for it. I'm like, no, it's a refill. It's been the same way for three years now. Like, you know, it's – Yeah, it's, so was it, was, it, was it expired? Was it like a six-month expiration and then you didn't get all the refills on it? Because that's no, what happens it, for a lot of controls. It, but that's the thing is so is Celexa considered a controlled substance? Yeah, so so oh. so it's broken down by like class. So C one is like marijuana, anything the federal government does not assign for a therapeutic use. Your control twos are like pain medication, so oxycodone, opioids, right. whatever. C three, not really sure. Um, as you increase the number, you're decreasing in addictive capabilities. Yeah. So C four, a lot of serotonin reuptake inhibitors, a lot of antidepressants. I'm pretty sure like benzodiazepines, things like things of that nature. And then right. C5, C6, at least in Virginia, because it is a little different in Nevada. In Virginia, C4s, um, I think like C1s through C5s. Hey, doggo. My dog's hanging out by me. Uh, nice. She's like, you talking about benzos? I'm coming to hang out. Anyway, here it's six-month expiration. No matter the number of refills, no matter what, even if you have like 50 refills on it, which you can't, there's only a certain number of refills you can get here. But C6's prescriptions last 12 months here. It might be different in Nevada. Again, requirements change by state. And I I don't think right now the requirements on a prescription, as far as I know, is you need the date, you need the prescriber's signature, you need the medication, the quantity, the frequency, the dosage form, and number of refills. And that's – yeah. I'm not sure why like for such and such for me is 
I at least haven't been taught that's required, but it does help clarify. Yeah, I, I think the discrepancy was they told me he didn't put refills on it. He told me they did, and they didn't. I don't know. I it's was such told a, it's did. such a backward system. It's so bad because the, the provider is going to blame the pharmacy and whatever. But and it, but you you provider and you as the patient is ultimately affected. And like, why is that? If our whole thing is to take care of patients, right? Why isn't yeah. there a better way that that's handled? Oh, wait, legislation, special interests, we can't get this yep. passed. There's actually a lot of talk about pharmacists getting provider status for a lot of chronic conditions for like conditional refills and stuff like that because then it would eliminate a lot of this process and harm that comes to you guys because of simple things like, hey, my prescriber forgot to put refills on my prescription. But if I right. just write a prescription pad out real quick, circle it, file it, you don't have to call your doctor. Doctor doesn't have to call me complaining that I didn't do my job. When literally, our job is to check to make sure they did their stuff right. Right. Half the, ti- half the time, it's the provider messing up and just admitting to you that they didn't. Because the pharmacist's job is literally like the only thing as a pharmacy. And it's it's hard because I just feel bad for you, man. It sucks. It, and I, it's not, it sounds really stupid because there's so many strict guidelines we have to follow or else like we as a pharmacy get shut down and fined. You know? Right. Oh, no. I, and I, it, no. The but so that's not an excuse. Have, that's not an excuse for not helping you. That's, I mean, but that that wasn't a huge deal. It, it just sucked because I had, you know, you're supposed to take them every day, and I'd gone like three days without it. So in my mind, I'm like, oh shit. You like, can get loaners. You can get loaners. Were they willing to yeah. do that? Um, I didn't. They didn't offer. Uh, they didn't offer. It's harder with controls, but it's possible. I was just like, dude, this is like a Schedule Four drug. Like, come on, like. So, so when I came back, when I came back, um, I, I had both my prescription for, cause then the other one I get is the clonazepam. So, you know, from the, you know, like just for anyone listening that has an interest in pharmacy, the azepam ending, you know, benzodiazepine, benzodiazepine, yeah, <laughs> benzodiazepine, <laughs> um, so her generic name is, uh, clonopin. So I, I get that too. And I don't, I've always had more anxiety with not, not so much work stuff, but just like uh family or like relationship related stress like yeah it it sounds and it's so funny because it's like i was telling one of my friends about it, i was like yeah like i i feel way more comfortable with a cardiac arrest than i did with uh my girlfriend leaving <laughs> because me. you well like, because it, i feel like you at least from what you've told me it sounds like you know exactly what to do in the cardiac arrest there's right. no right answer on how to handle a nasty breakup or uh, or or human interaction because you could never be fully confident of what the other person's thinking, right? And, yeah. that, and it's like and and knowing like there's nothing I can do to fix it, you know. And yeah. it's like that, well, that's, that's where the therapy helps, man. That's where the counseling and stuff helps because you learn those tools. Like, what was I guess what was the most beneficial thing you got out of counseling? Just talk. I don't know. Just having somebody to talk to that's kind of like a just not a friend and not you know they, they got no skin in the game except for me yeah so they kind of they kind of just getting getting me back focusing on like what i can do to make myself happy and not having to worry about um just basically i like i i address things that make me anxious or make me upset and then we talk about okay well this isn't I don't, I, I, I guess just... It helps you maybe, walk through your own problems and solve them yourself, it seems like. I mean, that's what I got out of Right. Yeah, thank you, because yeah. I, I was having I was having trouble finding, like, a good explanation. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, and, that I, and I feel well like, I feel like, so, depression is a disease, 
it sounds like you went on the medication, you took the medication, kind of got out of that disease state of mind, then you go to counseling, you get the cognitive therapy that you need to handle those situations with, with the help of meds, but not with the requirement of meds. And then you have the medicine to kind of fall back on if things do go bad when you need it. And now you're comfortable in that whole scheme of things. Right. And so uh, for anyone considering, you know, I would at least, you can always start with trying to, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Cause I, I, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it's, it's better when people are already medicated because then there's no question of, okay, does this person maybe need to go on meds first? But if, if for anyone that's just still really opposed to it, I would say at least maybe just look into some counseling or maybe even group counseling or group therapy. You know, try, group yeah, therapy. Did you do that at that all? I didn't do group stuff because I felt like everything was so specific to me that even if I, if I was in a group or sometimes like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'd cry and I needed a second to gather myself. And yeah. it's like, I, you're, you know, I didn't want to take that time away from other people that, you know, maybe didn't, I, I just always, one-on-one always worked for me. So I just, I, yeah. I don't know. I didn't know that I'd feel comfortable in that group setting. But I bawled maybe, my eyes out the first group setting. Bawled oh, my yeah, eyes okay. out. It was, a, it was a sniveling mess, dude. But oh, it okay. was, it was, yeah. But go on. I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off. No, it's, it, and it's, no, you're fine, man. And that's the thing too, is I've always kind of, I've kind of been like joking about it. Like, you know, like I, I made a joke, like, yeah, we're going to knock on the door and I'm just going to get like dusted. <laughs> well, that's all folks. You know, like, <laughs> Wait, what do you yeah, mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Talking about uh, like the, like the call that or had a potentially unsafe scene or, you know, the, Oh, you're the just going to, you're just going to get taken out. Like you're just going to yeah. arrive and they'll be like, ha, we knew you were coming. Like I, I would make jokes about it or stuff like that. But then, you know, being able to joke about it, but then, have somebody to talk to about like the more serious, you know, undertone. Um, it, it's just been helpful. You know, it's always just been a, it's just been a positive experience. I always leave feeling better. Um, I look forward to going and it's funny because, and that might not be the case for everybody. She told me on the first session, she's like, you know, you might dread going, but like stick with it. Like this is ultimately like, you know, you're, you're going to get something out of this. Like just come here. And, like, regardless. Yeah. Regardless. And then with group therapy, there was an eight week requirement and like, the reason there's a requirement and they encourage that so much is because there's so much evidence that 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 it helps people if they stick through it and it's going to be tough the first few weeks but you just gotta you just gotta you know bite the bullet not literally don't get dusted at work don't yeah, like right. <laughs> go into group therapy and therapy and say i'm ready to unload i hope you're ready to get you know overwhelmed <laughs> but it's their job man it's their job exactly they're paid for. That's- exactly and it's tough because sometimes like i could feel my friends getting frustrated when i would talk about you know, just different you. things I had, or yeah, the stuff you're struggling with. Yeah, and and they'd get upset because my feelings were hurt, and you know, and they they would start to get frustrated, and then sometimes they felt like maybe I wasn't listening to them, and they'd be frustrated with that, and it's like, you know, it it's, it's, a, it's so a, much, yeah, yeah. It's just better to I don't know. I feel better that I don't have to have those same conversations with my friends because they're ultimately even if they're trying not to there you know there there is a level of judgment there and they have their own opinions on things and how they should be exactly but that, exactly yeah and, and the difference between going to your friends and somebody who's trained in this is the biggest thing is whenever you're kind of spouting this and working it out yourself half the time you're not looking for advice 
Like it's not it's not an advice column. What what a lot of people want to do is like they do the thing that you do for a living. They want to help, right? So they're going to provide whatever like piece of advice they can do that they think will help you in the situation that is stressing them out. It sounds like what's stressing you out. So go to the gym, man. Go outside. You just gotta, you know. Yeah. And, no. and that's one of the things I talked to with uh, with my counselor. That was th- this was yeah this was a, a big one yesterday, right? So I said. You know, I, I feel like it's irrational. I feel like I'm anxious. I'm worried about things I can't control. And it's just like I have the same thing at work. And um, a good a good example, whew, I'm going to try to make it through this one without getting choked up. I cried about it yesterday. There's this one call I, I always – it always hits me. And it, the guy was younger. He was he was probably I, – I don't know. I mean, <laughs> hippo. There was this guy, and his, his family was, was by him, and he overdosed, opiate overdose, um, and he had he had vomitus in his airway, and I, I couldn't get the suction unit to, to work, and it ended up being something stupid, and I, I felt super embarrassed that I couldn't get it working on scene because the, the reality is I just didn't notice what was wrong at the time because it was a very simple – it was a simple fix, and um, – I tried to get one of the firefighters to get their unit working because they're, I was unfamiliar with their section, their portable section. And, um, I tried to get him to work, to, to just figure it out. Cause I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know how your shit's set up. Like, let me just do compressions. And they, it was, uh, I don't want to say like, they weren't listening to me, but like, I think they were in the heat of the moment. They just kind of like tuned me out a little bit. And so I'm sitting like bumble fucking around with this suction unit and, it, none of it's working right. I'm just like, oh my god, and um, the family's you know, on scene wonderful. too. They can see you kind of. Oh getting, yeah, oh, oh family's man. on scene. So it was, yeah, I felt great, and um, I, I kind of, I came home and I was I was really upset about it because I felt like you know I failed this person and it's like here's this person who's sitting in front of you dying and they've got you know this this emesis just backing up and we can't get their airway down because we can't get good enough suction. It ended up, cause I even talked to my partner about it, that, that, that I was working with that day. Um, and she was like, it's no big deal. We, we got him in the truck and suction there. So like he stabilized. He's okay. Oh no, he's dead. But, Oh, um, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. But okay. She, no she, happy she was, all right. No, it, it was just one of those things where, I mean, she was like that. It wasn't, you know, like likely that wasn't what got him anyway. You know, like the fact that it took us a little bit longer to suction him probably wasn't the limiting factor. Mm-hmm. But it's still, you know, there's always that what if. And ultimately, I'm at I'm at peace with it. But it just it it sucks, man, because that's you know that's somebody's kid, and you see their family, and they're sitting right in front of you, and I just felt like powerless against it. And it's like so so stuff like that gave me anxiety, and I just remember like my girlfriend at the time i don't know like she kind of made it like kind of like teased me about it like well something something about like getting the suction to work and it, it really hurt oh my god like, oh you, oh no Ooh. but then, Ooh. Like, i mean like, people people joke and things like that but you really got to be upfront yeah. with what's not cool yeah and oh. i it, it, you know and, and she felt awful about it afterwards because i was like that you know like that really hurt my feelings i went home and, and cried about that what do you <laughs> yeah it you know but yeah well it's it, she didn't mean to but it just it kind of it's something you I, think about i'm sure a lot well, but and my my morbid sense of humor kind of i i didn't know how much my morbid sense of humor kind of 
made her feel bad or just she didn't like my my joke and i didn't i didn't think it was as big of an issue as it was i thought okay you know you and said so, i'm so sorry man but you said you said they died so casually and i think that's i think that for me that's insane because in pharmacy you don't like at least until you're an actual pharmacist you're going on code calls you don't see patients that die yeah. you you see a med order you see a piece of paper and i think it's really important to emphasize people die every day on these calls people die from a med order not going up on time people die from like a suction tube maybe not working uh but also you can never really know what the cause of death was ever and and, and, and it sounds like you're ruminating a lot about it which is probably a lot of the cause of the anxiety right it, it's just it was a learning experience and i pass that on now to every like new guy we get i'm like look if you ever feel like you don't have pressure suctioning like always just check this out like always you know just take a deep breath and and look through it like don't yeah. Don't freak out. Well, and like, and and kind of just to kind of wrap things up, I don't, I don't want to take too much more of your time. And what would you? So in the same line, what would you say to someone considering going into EMT or healthcare in general who's currently struggling with mental health to kind of just manage or just be prepared for the things like dealing with patients dying? That's that's a really tough one, man. I would say try try as best you can to just have that that line of help established before you start because there's i mean i've had friends like i i'm what they refer to as like a white cloud I'll, I'll, like a lot of times i get like very not so sick patients you know or like i won't i won't get the person that gets like decapitated and that happens few and far between anyway but there you know there always is that chance that you might see something that's really traumatizing and you want to be able to have that network of people you can communicate with already established because it's it is tough when you're you know you just like we were talking about the kind of throughout this podcast i i wanted to get help and it was i i kept trying to look for okay can i do this can i do that oh the wait's eight weeks even to get to my place that i'm going to now it was still like a two or three week wait and i'm like oh my god like i'm having and you I'm, know like yeah. yeah i'm having like passive suicidal ideation and and i have no one to talk to about it like yeah and i mean because you don't want to I, I didn't want to dump it off on my friends so anyway i yeah just it, coming back around to try and wrap it up um just just try to if you're already struggling get help now be ahead of the curve just really try to take care of yourself first um even if you're in school already try to do it before maybe clinical starts try to just get that that help established so you have that to lean on when you know something does or doesn't happen my my experience in school was pretty not so stressful you know able to go through it but then again i had friends that had like traumatic codes and different you know different things that was like oh wow you really saw some crazy stuff you'll have a better network too of people you can write to once you get into that school of like thought in the school of your you know field everyone's gonna yeah. do with a similar baggage so i think have that support network so talk to people about it yeah like, just try not to get burnt out because like my my thing and that's so easier said than done but like my thing was i started kind of looking at it as like i went to school i tried to learn all this stuff i want to i want to think i want to have this challenge and it's like that's it's every day is not going to be that way you know all, all somebody might need it they might be a homeless person that's just going to the hospital because they want food but try to recognize that you know that that's the struggle in its own this person doesn't know you know they've, they've got their own struggles that are unique to themselves and try to remove yourself from the situation because when i 
when I was wanting to go to paramedic school and I was wanting to be a PA and I, I wanted to challenge myself and think, um, I kind of, I, I almost made it about me. And I know that that was another thing that put a strain on my relationship. Your mic is messing up again. I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh man. Okay. Is it? Yeah, now? you're good. You're right. You're good. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry about my crappy phone. So just try to try to really just focus on what your patient needs at that time. Cause they might, you know, they might only need a blanket. Mm pat on the back i don't know i just yeah. try to make sure everybody's comfortable and just just try to try to look at what they need at that time and it, some days are gonna suck and it's gonna be boring it's gonna be oh my god like why am i doing this but um just try to recognize that that it is appreciated on their end you know and, and maybe even if it doesn't seem like it it is maybe the patient's sucky and maybe maybe they whine all the time and, and it is draining but try not to take that home with you because i know that that's one of the things like me not talking about a lot of the positive things it really put a strain on my relationship and it, it sucks because i would do anything to get that back and be able to, to change it but you know right now i can't mm-hmm. so just just try not to try not to unload it on other people and try to just remember what what made you get into it because the good customer service i took from retail i i use at my job now it and translates I, I found- it translates dude it totally does. And I found that I, I felt a lot happier at work and I have been feeling a lot happier at work when even if it's just a homeless guy going because he's hungry or he's cold, it is friggin' cold outside. You know, the best, the thing that made me feel the best was just saying, hey man, you know, are, are you comfortable? Is there anything I can do to make you more comfortable right now? Are, are you warm enough? Can I turn the heater up for you? Mm-hmm. That's not medicine. That's just being compassionate. And I that one of the one of the worst things I I heard my girlfriend say to me because it was she wasn't wrong she was saying you know you you've lost your compassion you don't seem like you're compassionate towards these this demographic of patient wow. and and it kind of she wasn't she wasn't wrong but I it's still a slap in the face and you need that wake up call because a lot of people do get jaded in what they're doing yeah and I I wasn't realizing it but. You know, it, you can you can still be caring even if it's you know what what would be referred to as a bullshit call. You can you can still treat them with respect. And I was just getting burnt out because that's all I was seeing at the time. But you know, just recognizing it, you know, it, it has made me a better healthcare provider. Just stay away from that train of thought. Just try to stay positive. And that's such a weak statement. And I I always hate just try to stay positive, bro. No, man, but you've you've given you've you've talked about your experience and you've given a lot of people a lot of good resources and a lot of what's helped you and i think that's going to be practical again coming from an emt perspective where you literally deal with death you potentially can deal with death every single day that's gonna that's gonna be a a harder strain and you're seeing it on the front lines and i'm seeing it on the back end of the med order so what you're saying is helpful um are you willing to have people reach out to you if they want to just talk to you about questions yeah absolutely i mean how can how can they reach you best i guess um, I'd say if, if you, you can, you can throw my Instagram tagline in there. If, okay. if you post, yeah, you can, you can throw that in. Just send me a DM, um, slide in my DM. <laughs> and, uh, I, I would say too, just for anyone that might be the spouse or loved one of someone that's in medicine, realize that it's, it, it's tough because if they're already dealing with depression, like I was, I think I, I, I should have been going to counseling and stuff a while ago. I just didn't necessarily realize it, maybe. Dealing with the stress of, of, of working in medicine, working in pharmacy, working in any type of, like, 
patient, even even stressful school, man. I mean, you're talking about like pharmacy school. That's immensely stressful. Everything, um, everything. Anytime there's a big stressful event in your life, like the, it, there shouldn't even be a second thought of whether yeah, or not you should seek help. Get that help, and and then it'll it'll make you. Ultimately, it's going to make you a better provider. And for the people that might listen, that are like husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends of someone who works in healthcare realize too that if, if they're having negativity, try to try to say like, maybe ask them if there's something else that's bothering them too, because I, I didn't realize that within myself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That all these little like complaints and stuff I had and, and maybe like my morbid humor and stuff that was coming from a place of me being frustrated of, you know, we're going to these places and sometimes you the need patients... That, you need that humor to kind of protect yourself in those crazy situations. That's why a lot of health providers right. have to and a lot of the things, Yeah, and a lot of the things that were bothering me, I just wasn't addressing because I didn't necessarily realize it. So I, I know you got to go and uh, I, I don't want to take up any no, more time. No, man, but... I, I think it is important to just address that. So like my, my girlfriend was the main reason why I sought help because I didn't know... Yeah. I didn't know, dude. I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know how it affected me i'd come home talking negative i'd come home saying like everybody hated me i did the worst job ever and the significant others it's it's not realizing that like you aren't causing it and the fact that you're confiding in them is such a positive sign of trust and likely their only outlet for a lot of the stuff they deal with on a daily basis which is something so out of the ordinary that your average person can't even relate to like it, it's obviously going to be hard for you to relate and sit down and listen to that negativity, but understand like you you play such a huge role in how their health outcomes go. Yeah, and even it's it's like my mom said too because she was saying like it's it's tough because my my dad was pretty you know negative, and she's saying you know it's it's tough because as like a wife or as like a girlfriend, spouse, what have you, um, you know a lot of times like women might feel like not just women specifically, but a significant other might feel like, uh, like they, they need to fix it or that they themselves might be causing it. And, uh, and that's so not the, the case. It's not, you know, you, you can't, you can't solve it, but you, you can listen and, and be encouraging and maybe try and, you know, maybe be the one that like, like in your case, David, uh, convinced you to go get, get that counseling. Yeah. And get get that the help. help. Like just anytime someone is struggling through this, the last thing, and if you're ever confused, what I learned in counseling is just ask what they want and what they need because the person, sometimes they'll answer with, I don't know. Sometimes they'll say, I just want advice. Sometimes they'll say, I just want somebody to listen. And and you providing the advice might be a bad thing and you just listening might be a bad thing. It's all conditional. Get the help that you need. Um, be there for your loved ones. Dude, I'm really happy I was able to sit down and talk to you yeah. about this stuff. And I, 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 I'm happy you're in a better place now. And I'm glad the system's not completely failing you. I'm glad you're getting where you need eventually <laughs> with hard work. And, and even even being in healthcare, man, that's the thing too. People think because you're in healthcare, you do have an advantage with sorting through some of the stuff. You don't at all. You're another person. Like it, it's, it's, it's especially frustrating right. when you know the system itself and how it works. And it, that system itself is failing you so yeah I, yeah and to the friends and family of healthcare workers just know like you know you're you're not causing their depression never it's, it's ultimately yeah it's it's not you know you don't have to bear that weight of like oh my god i, I can't bring this person out of it because i've i felt that way too um when my girlfriend started seeming more depressed it was like it it's just, i felt it, bad because yeah. i couldn't i couldn't make her happy and i couldn't like 
cheer her up and it's like yeah but that's because other things are you know going on and you know all i can do is try to be supportive and like that's it's a disease it is a it's a disease state and you need to seek that professional help that has been scientifically designed to work over the past however many years we've been trying to figure this thing out which we still haven't solved yet so this is the best right. medicine we have we only got each other again that's why we're putting this together that's why hopefully like people are listening to this and like just just be more aware of it be more present be more in the moment understand don't put everything on you and you know uh do you want to you want to take it off with a sign off dude you hear you heard the first episode right so you know what the sign off is um, I, I don't know what the sign off nobody is. ever knows what the sign off is oh my god it's in every post it's the la- whatever i'm gonna i'm gonna take i'm gonna tell you it's because you lift weights so uh can you can you, can you so you got pretty big biceps right bro Decent biceps, decent little let's, guns. Let's, let's hey, let's, let's go. Let's, let's go with our long sleeves. <laughs> it's a, it's a, so it's stay healthy and don't overdose. So just go ahead. Stay healthy. All right. Well, from the top. From the top. Stay healthy and don't overdose. Thanks, uh, Stefan. I appreciate it, man. Um, have a good one. Yeah, good talking to you, bro. Peace. All right. God, let's go get tacos. Yeah, let's go get tacos, baby.